Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a call. You can visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. And when you go to the website, sign up for On the Town. You can find out some of the highlights of things that are going on we're not going on here on the, on the uh, Paradise Coast. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar. He's also the chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about uh, national security and our civil rights in the context of the question, has uh, the uh, Supreme Court of the United States since the New Deal uh, somehow uh, damaged our Constitution. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz, and Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston and author of several books. His latest, Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. Terrific read. I just finished the book yesterday and look forward to our conversation with Professor Bell today. It is April the 22nd, and on this day in 1945, a dark chapter in our history ended Adolf Hitler learning from one of his generals that no German defense was offered to a Russian assault at Eberswald, admitted to all in the underground bunker that the war was lost and that suicide was his only recourse. And he then took him and killed himself. Uh, then shortly after, a POW camp uh, released uh, about 40 miles southwest of Berlin was uh, released, and uh, Norwegian Commander Chief Otto Rude was uh, released at the same time. Hitler killed himself on this day in 1945. Well, business leaders say Florida can open safely or reopen. There's lots of input and discussion yesterday at the governor's meeting, but not a lot of conclusions or consensus drawn. The governor's executive order implementing a statewide lockdown expires at the end of the month. He asked the task force to send him suggestions by today, or I should say by Friday, but has not said whether he'll end the lockdown at that time or not. He said, I, have to set a I haven't set a specific date because I think it's more important to do it right, he said. Uh, yesterday, we lost a 74-year-old man. He's the 10th victim now of COVID-19 uh, or the Wuhan plague. Now 477 cases, 72 people have been hospitalized for COVID-19 here in uh, Florida and in Collier County, but some of those folks have been released. We don't have 72 in the hospital right now. So the 10th victim to fall, but again, uh, how they're listing this on the death certificate died with the disease, not necessarily because of it. White House instructs agencies to begin process of returning some employees to their offices. And our commander chief said, look, basically, let's get back to work. I'm accounting on each of the department heads to determine how that's going to happen. But uh, we want to start operations uh, to begin as soon as possible. Money marked the lowest number of coronavirus-related uh, fatalities in the United States in two weeks, just days after the number of deaths had spiked at 4,591 in a single day. According to Johns Hopkins University, the U.S. lost 1,433 people to coronavirus on April the 20th, adding to the overall death toll of 42,364, well below the 2 million that predicted initially, or the 60,000, that the latest number. According to the data, nearly 93% of all deaths from the pandemic have occurred in the past three weeks, 44% of which have occurred over the last seven days. But after several sharp spikes last week, the number seems to be slowing, and the data reflect an average of 600 less deaths than previous days. That's all good news. We haven't known the true extent of uh, the infections in our community because we've only tested people with symptoms and the availability of tests has been limited. Uh, but the estimates are, I suggest, that we might have to recalibrate disease prediction models and rethink public stra health strategies. Well, here's good news. On Tuesday, the FDA announced they had authorized the first ever at-home coronavirus test 
In a statement released Tuesday, the FDA said it reissued an emergency use authorization for LabCorp to COVID-19 RT-PCR test to permit testing of samples that were self-collected by patients at home using LabCorp's Pixel by LabCorp COVID-19 test home collection kit. The reissued EUA of LabCorp's molecular test permits testing of a sample collected from the patient's nose using a designated self-collection kit that contains nasal swabs and saline, saline solution, the FDA said in a, in a statement. Uh, once patients self-swab to collect the nasal sample, they mail their sample off to the uh, company in an insulated package. Health work, care workers and first responders are the first to get the access. We won't have it for a while, but most Americans should be able to buy the test kit in coming weeks. It will cost about 119 bucks. But there's some probability insurance companies may cover it. In fact, I think the president said that when their costs are involved, insurance costs or medical costs with COVID-19, they will be covered. So here's how it works. So you first fill out a survey to see if you need the kit. Then if the doctor gives you the okay, you can buy the kit and then have it shipped to your home. Then you take a swab to gather the sample from your nose and send it to the uh, Precious cargo to LabCorp. The results would then be posted online. So that's how it's all going to work. The FDA commissioner called it as safe and accurate as testing in hospitals or official sites. And by doing it yourself, clinicians uh, don't run the risk of getting infected. And of course, it doesn't re require us to go off to the hospital or some other site in order to get the test completed. So that's good news. Public health and state officials have said the testing is important to curb the virus. Well, here we have a test-at-home kit that will be available to us soon. A second deadlier coronavirus pandemic could hit the United States this winter. At the same time, the flu uh, season hits, bringing its worse results than, current, than the current outbreak. That according to a Washington Post report. This is from the CDC. Uh, CDC Director Robert Redfield said in a story published Tuesday, and when I said that to others, they kind of put their heads back and they don't want to understand what I mean. So uh, to me, this is ridiculous to release this kind of information because it's uh, speculation. But I understand that's based on the history and how viruses work, but uh, how does this help the situation currently right now? I don't think it helps a lot. Uh, in other words, the, inf the inference is that maybe we're moving too soon uh, to open the, the economy. Uh, Redfield also stressed the importance of getting a flu shot, saying it may allow uh, there to be a hospital bed available for your mother or grandmother that may uh, get the coronavirus, he said. This past flu season, which lasted from October 1st to April 4th, saw between 410,000 and 740,000 hospitalizations, between 24,000 to 62,000 deaths in illness. So uh, stirring up fear with regard to flu as well as the pandemic. So how's this helpful? It's institutional fear peddling in my opinion. Here's what Dr. Fauci had to say. I think the message is clearly that there's something that is hurting from the standpoint of economies and that the standpoint of things that have nothing to do with the virus, but unless we get the virus under control, the real recovery economically is not going to happen. Fauci replied, so what do you do if you jump the gun and go into a situation where you have a big spike? You're going to set yourself back. So as painful as it is to go to the careful guidelines of gradually phasing in and reopening, it's going to backfire. That's the problem, said Fauci. More fear-mongering, institutional fear-mongering, I'll call it. Again, I've repeated this on the show several times, but life is risky. We have to take risks. We've got to get back to work. And in our self-interest, we want to preserve our health and our financial well-being. Those that are at risk can self-quarantine. The rest of them, rest of us, can perhaps develop a herd immunity, they call it. We go out, uh, pre maybe become asymptomatic, but carry the flu, but that helps to develop our resistance to future uh, flu strains. The U.S. Senate passed a $484 billion relief package on Tuesday. So to fund small business loans, hospital aid, and testing for Chinese coronavirus. The measure passed by a voice vote includes $310 billion for Paycheck Protection Program. That's critical. $75 billion for hospitals, $60 billion for emergency disaster loans, and $25 billion for testing. Unbelievable amount of money. 
So are there eight institutions that make up the Ivy League enjoying endowments totaling 140 billion bucks, yet the federal government has allocated nearly $54 billion to the wealthy private schools as part of the recent CARES Act, and while most all colleges and universities nationwide will receive funds from the coronavirus relief bill passed by the Congress in March, the Ivy League schools will be allocated funds that amount to uh, about less than one-tenth of one percent of each school's total endowment. Unbelievable. Can you believe that? Uh, the president yesterday in his press conference said, nope, not going to happen. Uh, Harvard's going to have to return their $9 million, and I would imagine and hope they'll ask the other Ivy League schools to return their money as well. Now, there's some schools that don't have an endow endowment or a sizable endowment like this. I can promise you, though, if you, uh, DeVos, Betsy DeVos said, uh, we're going to ask them to return the money if they don't need it. Well, each of these schools is uh, asking their alumni to send money in all the time. So, of course, they're going to say they need it. But uh, I, I agree with President Trump. He said Harvard's going to pay back the money, he said, and they shouldn't be uh, taking it. So Harvard's going to, you know, have a number of them. I'm going to to mention any names. But when I saw Harvard, that they're the, one of the largest endowments anywhere in the country, uh, they're going to have to pay back the money. I think he's absolutely right. Uh, finally, I, I just want to mention this. Drones are used around the country to enforce coronavirus uh, lockdowns. They're purchased from the Chinese government. We're going to talk with uh, Professor Larry Bell later and find out why that's such an important problem right now. The Chinese <laughs> are selling us drones, probably on the cheap. They're probably cheaper than what they can get from the United States uh, producers, but there's a big problem. They use it to spy on us. We'll talk about that later. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also, by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy. Bob is the chairman of the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harton, the host of the Bob Harton Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabee's.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees, the goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Gulf Shore Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org.
back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And, of course, the season's been, the balance of the season canceled right now, but there's a great season coming up in the fall. And, of course, there's got the, uh, the uh, school programs for young kids and uh, got the New Works West Festival. So you can find out more by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. As I mentioned before the break, he is a constitutional scholar. He's also the chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government. C-A-T-O.org. Cato.org. Terrific organization. So, Bob, uh, in the last few sessions we've had on a weekly basis, we've been talking about the question, or raising the question, has the Supreme Court subverted the Constitution? And the next topic I'd like to bring up would be national security and civil liberties. Certainly something in the news lately. And uh, didn't the Supreme Court set the stage to emphasize national security considerations when it authorized imprisonment of Japanese Americans during the Second World War? The case was uh, Korematsu versus uh, United States. And, and what happened in that case is that uh, three months after Pearl Harbor, um, Roosevelt, FDR, issued an executive order that gave uh, certain military commanders nearly total discretion to uh, exclude persons from designated areas that had military significance. And Korematsu, who was an American citizen of Japanese descent, he violated the exclusion order, and he was uh, sent to a what they called a relocation center, uh, but described uh, by Supreme Court Justice Owen Roberts as a concentration camp. Um, and no, no question was ever raised regarding his loyalty to the United States. He'd never been to Japan. He didn't claim Japanese citizenship. He didn't read Japanese. He spoke the language uh, poorly. And then the follow-on was over the next two years, there were 120,000 Japanese Americans, uh, including 70,000 U.S. citizens, who were confined to these internment camps. And none of them uh, was convicted of espionage or sabotage or even a, a disloyalty. And by war's end, uh, Japanese-American troops had received 18,000 declarations for valor fighting for the United States. Mm. And it, it wasn't until mid-1946 uh, that the last residents of these camps uh, returned were able to return to their homes. So it was a disgraceful episode in U.S. history, and I don't think it's a cogent argument uh, for favoring national security over civil liberties. Certainly is not. Maybe one of the darkest times of our history, actually, imprisoning people because of their race uh, as opposed to, to protecting their liberty. So what was the court's holding, and what was the aftermath? Well, the holding in, in 1944 was written by uh, <clears throat> Supreme Court Justice Hugo Black, a noted uh, liberal on the court, uh, he invoked national security, and he absolved the uh, Roosevelt administration from any blame. Hmm. And it wasn't until 40 years afterwards, 1983, that the uh, Commission on Wartime Justice found unanimously that Roosevelt's executive order uh, was not justified by military necessity, but was actually the product of race prejudice and, and war hysteria and a failure of uh, political leadership. And then five years after that, uh, President Reagan authorized reparations, uh, $20,000 to each of the thousands of internees, including uh, Kuramatsu. And in 1999, uh, President Clinton awarded the uh, Presidential Medal of Freedom uh, to Kuramatsu. That's the nation's highest civilian honor. So uh, the good news is that we recognize that this was a horrendous episode in our history, and we took measures to um, remedy it, if not in total, at least partially. Yeah, so uh, is there a modern-day counterpart to the Korematsu case? Well, there's a lot of question, of course, uh, nowadays about the executive orders, uh, but more, def more uh, 
a closer fit uh, regarding indefinite detention of U.S. citizens with no charges and no access to a lawyer. That, that didn't end with uh, the war. There was the, the case that we've talked about in the past of Jose Padilla, who was a U.S. citizen seized in Chicago and confined to solitary confinement for the better part of five years without any charges, no visitation rights, and no legal counsel. Uh, he was uh, ultimately convicted on, on criminal charges and filed only after the Supreme Court was about to order his uh, release. And those criminal charges, uh, they didn't have anything to do with his alleged plan, his plan uh, for which he was originally incarcerated, and that was to set off a dirty bomb. So, you know, I'm not uh, trying to apologize for Jose Padilla. He may have deserved, I suspect he did deserve, even worse than he uh, received. Mm-hmm. But but we do have a rule of law to uh, uphold, and at a minimum it means that an American cannot be seized off the streets of a U.S. city and whisked away and incarcerated uh, indefinitely and then held incommunicado with no chance to argue that he was uh, mistakenly detained. So, so Korematsu sort of set the stage. Mm-hmm. It's not that the courts were invoking... Uh, Korematsu to justify executive power. Uh, the holding in that case was an anachronism, and I think it's been uh, overruled. In the, it was overruled in the in, in the court of history, even if it wasn't officially repudiated by the Supreme Court until the Trump travel ban case uh, two years ago, 2018. Yeah. But uh, you know, Korematsu's challenge, if it had been upheld, uh, would have stood, I think, as a barrier to these concentrations of power. Uh, in the executive branch, and instead the court condoned Roosevelt's uh, unconstitutional internment policy and passed up a signal to establish uh, legal precedent that might have deterred uh, future executive uh, misbehavior. Yeah, I mean, it's just unbelievable, and if if we don't think things like that are happening today, just take a a second look. Sidney Powell's book recently released about the the justice system raises a lot of questions. So what about the president's war powers? Doesn't he have the authority in that area? Yeah, his authority in foreign affairs uh, includes the power to wage war uh, as commander-in-chief. But, you know, that power has limits. Uh, first, it's about waging war. It's not about declaring war. Declaring war is Congress's job. Mm-hmm. And second, uh, the Constitution also assigns to Congress the power to make rules for the government and regulation of the land and naval forces. And third, uh, war takes money, and Congress has the power of the purse. So, you know, to help that, that's been an ongoing debate for decades. Um, and to help resolve that, Congress passed this, this War Powers Act in 1973 by a vote, a two-thirds vote over a veto by Nixon. Uh, and under the act, military action is authorized only if there's a declaration of war, if there's some other statutory authorization, or if there's an attack on U.S. interests. And if there is an attack, then the president has to notify Congress within 48 hours and withdraw all the forces within 60 days, unless Congress says, uh, okay. So, you know, the, the animating sentiment at the time of the founding was this fear of executive power, the return of the king. And so we, I think we have to understand that against that backdrop. Uh, presidents claim these unilateral wartime powers uh, with few, if any, safeguards. And in effect, it's a presumption nearly anything they do is okay, as long as it's justified under this national security uh, rubric. So uh, it's worth remembering that the president is indeed commander-in-chief of the armed for- forces. He's not commander-in-chief of the entire nation. Uh, we have checks and balances to guard against that. Yeah. And actually, during this pandemic, we're seeing governors. I, I just actually think that uh, power is kind of like crack. It's kind of like <laughs> addictive. And these people start taking powers that they, you know, just that interview with uh, Tucker Carlson the other night about the governor of New Jersey saying, you know, I didn't really take the Bill of Rights into consideration when I did what I did. We, oh, yeah, this doesn't stop at the federal level. This goes down to the state. Sometimes the states are more tyrannical than the, uh, than the feds. Of course, slavery was the obvious uh, case in point. Yeah. And we see it today. Uh, the, these governors are assuming, in some cases, dictatorial powers that I think uh, are, are uh, unconstitutional, but you know, in this 
in this pandemic, um, we, we put some of these rules aside and, uh, and uh, recognize that the exigencies of the moment uh, justify behavior that we wouldn't condone yeah. at other times. Just like we did with the Japanese in World War II. Yes, exactly right. Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato, uh, Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit the very robust website, Cato, C-A-T-O dot org. Bob, genuinely appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, Blue Provence offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. During the governor's stay-at-home notice, Blue Provence is offering pick-up curbside takeout options five nights a week, Tuesday through Saturday. To place an order, just call 261-8239 Tuesday through Saturday from 4 to 7 p.m. A 20% discount will be applied on all food orders during these unprecedented times. Compliment your order with amazing wines from the Blue Provence Retail Wine Store, offering amazing choice and value. Blue Provence Wine Store is open Monday to Saturday, 9 to 12 p.m., and has one of the most eclectic and fun wine cellars, offering 10% off cases. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I hope you'll visit the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now we have with us Andrew Joppa. As I mentioned before the break, he is a professor at Mercy College and author of a terrific read off topic for today's discussion. It's called Josephus, Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you, Bob. I think everybody should buy my book during the shutdown. They'll have plenty of time to read it. Absolutely. It is a great read. So, Andy, we're seeing such strange things going on right now. You wrote a column that I found so interesting. It's called The Giant Mouse That Roared. Maybe you can tell us about it. Well, The Giant Mouse That Roared is a discussion of the concept of uh, asymmetric warfare uh, that has been the uh, actual policy of China since 1999. Uh, it was really revealed in a uh, publication by two uh, colonels in the PLA, the, uh, the Chinese Army. Uh, and what it deals with is the circumstance of asymmetric warfare, which is when a weaker enemy uses other than military means to attack a stronger enemy. And that has been the actual policy of the, uh, the Chinese, the CCP, since 1999. Um, I build a case, although I can't document that case, that what we're seeing now has all of the characteristics of what we can describe as asymmetric warfare. Uh, we have uh, no way of documenting uh, whether it was an accidental release from the wet market or from the uh, Wuhan uh, uh, virology laboratories, or it was an intentional release. What we do know is there are some very strange statistics that uh, have come out of China, just as, as one example. 
whereas the, the pandemic started in Wuhan and had tremendous impact in Wuhan, if we move to Shanghai, the business center in Beijing, the, uh, the, the political center of, of, of China, there have been almost no documented deaths in both of those huge cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there seems to be some, uh, something there that we, we should understand. Why, in fact, with such a, uh, a, a starting point being such, so dramatic in China, and yet uh, almost no Chinese military, business, or economic leaders uh, have been affected by the, uh, the COVID virus. So I can't document a case of this sort, but I would suggest the concept of Pue Bono, who gains, uh, must be considered. And if this is an intentional act of asymmetric warfare by the Chinese, which is certainly within the realm of their, their, their policy position, uh, then I think we're looking at a situation that must be dealt with as if it is war itself, Bob. Uh, and again, I don't want to become too dramatic with that, uh, but I think there's absolutely no reason to believe it's not true. Can't document it is, but there's no reason to believe it is not true, Bob. Well, in fact, uh, our next guest, uh, Professor Larry Bell, has written a book called Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. And boy, he makes the case for you. I think you're absolutely right on. And this is just one instance. If you just take a look at everything from trade to the theft of intellectual property, you go down the list. The Chinese have been using everything but guns to try and overtake us in, in, in acts of what I'm going to call war, really. Well, and again, the concept of asymmetric warfare is the, the, uh, the technical term for all of this, Bob. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, uh, our, our, our military is, is going to be absolutely uh, useless as, as it pertains to dealing with asymmetrical warfare. Our intelligence agencies are, are not designed to... Uh, to delve into the concept of asymmetrical warfare. So, uh, again, the Quay Bono concept, who gains, uh, and it being a, uh, a national um, policy, strategic policy of the, the Chinese government, I, I think we're looking at something that needs to be explored. And, and yet every time it is mentioned, uh, coming from the wet markets or from the uh, Wuhan laboratories, it's always discussed whether it was uh, an accidental release. Uh, no one has even bothered to stop a moment and suggest that this release may have, in fact, been intentional. If it was not intentional, it certainly has served uh, dramatically the purpose of the Chinese Communist government. Well, I think that's a great point, because whether it was accidental or intentional, it certainly is serving the purposes, just to underscore the point that you just made. Now, in a sense, I mean, we... Uh, we're, we're actually defeating ourselves in so many ways. I take a look at, at the recent release on the comment from, I think his name is Robert Redfield. He's the head of CDC. And he basically saying, hey, we could have another wave, another pandemic, and more fear, more fear-mongering by these agencies. It's just really driving me nuts. Well, it's going to be almost impossible to escape with that kind of rhetoric coming out of the CDC. Uh, he's saying that, again, we'll not only have a potential of a second wave of COVID-19, but that'll be linked with the normal flu season. Uh, at some point, Bob, we have to uh, figure out how not just to work around COVID-19 or the flu pandemics uh, that might hit us, but we have to figure out how to work within them. Uh, and certainly we cannot keep our economy closed down. Uh, I think right now we perhaps have even gone beyond the point of of being able to uh, uh, rapidly restore our economy. If we carry it through the winter, as uh, as suggested by Redfield's comments, would be necessary. Uh, I think we're looking at an untenable position in terms of our uh, in terms of our uh, economic well-being and economics. And again, I mentioned this last week. Economics is not just about money or these uh, these these uh, uh, superficial things. Economics is the basic process of how a society satisfies the needs of its citizens. And, and we're going to uh, cross over a point that we haven't already, where we're going to lose the ability to satisfy the basic emotional, psychological, and physical needs of American citizens, Bob. No question. Bob, again, Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College. Andy, I want to uh, talk more with you. Can you stick around? I will be here. Okay, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. As Southwest Florida is impacted by the coronavirus crisis, the organizations that provide relief and support to our community's most vulnerable population are finding their resources stretched. For 32 years, St. Matthew's House has provided food, shelter, and comfort to those struggling with poverty, food insecurity, and homelessness. St. Matthew's House is the only emergency homeless shelter in Cuyahoga County, sheltering more than 300 men, women, and children every night and providing more than 500,000 meals each year to those in need. For those who have shelter but are food insecure, direct assistance is offered through the St. Matthew's House Food Pantry and Grocery Distribution. Donations of food, hygiene supplies, detergent, diapers, and monetary support are needed. Curbside drop-off is available at St. Matthew's House Main Thrift Store at 2601 Airport Road, South Naples. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization that does not solicit government funding. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org or call 239-774-0500. That's 774-0500. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we continue the discussion with Andrew Jopper, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for being with us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So you wrote a uh, blog that I found uh, fascinating. Uh, the title is The Bias of Experts and How Experts Are Using and to, to Start uh, the Messages that We're Getting. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, let me just have an introductory comment about my local standard of sanity, and that's publics or not, as the case may be. Uh, as I've watched the beaches be closed down, parks be closed down, the you know Americans being... Uh, uh, challenge to, to stay uh, quarantined in their own homes. I, I, go, I went out to Publix yesterday, Bob, and I would suggest that at least half of the people did not have the most simple of measures taken, which is to cover their faces. Now, you know, again, I'm not uh, an obsessive with this issue, certainly not. You know me. Yeah. Uh, but again, on the other hand, uh, Americans gather in one place right now, and that is in our food stores. And yet, I walk into a food store, and half of the people do not have their faces covered. There's something incongruous about that situation. So I uh, just, just wanted to, to point that out. We have to have some uh, consistency of how, of how we approach this. And uh, uncovered faces in a mass gathering in a food store does not seem to be a, a consistent part of this process. Um, in, in regards to that blog that you alluded to, Bob, the bias of experts, uh, I was, in fact, an expert. Uh, uh, I was a behavioral expert, an organizational behavior expert. I uh, I preached behavioral elements. I was a consultant where I dealt with behavior almost exclusively in my analysis of, of any issue. Uh, I mentioned in my blog I went into Perk and Elmer in the late 80s for IBM uh, to discuss the, the change in their, their chip production method. And, of course, I talked about behavior because that's what I know, and I focused on that. This is true of almost all experts and all consultants. They are not comprehensive. They don't deal with the universal issues surrounding a particular problem area. They deal with the thing that they focus on. So if we look at this current circumstance, with uh, the way uh, Burks <coughs> and Fauci uh, have, I think, been, been stimulating a, a fear reaction, uh, I would suggest that those people, Burks and uh, and and Fauci, and I would add in Redfield into this, 
are chosen specifically as public and public commentators because that is the message that the government wants to get out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I sort of define this within a couple of other situations. In the first place, if you talk about government experts about Islam, uh, everyone that you'll hear from the government will say that Islam is a religion of peace. I'm not saying that position shouldn't be offered. I am just suggesting that there's much more to that debate than merely Islam is a religion of peace. Same thing goes with anthropogenic climate change. Uh, all you'll hear from the government experts is that it is the, the greatest threat facing humanity up until the point of, of COVID-19. So here we have experts, and I believe what we're seeing right now uh, is experts being carefully chosen for their unique focus that satisfies the pre-existing position of the agency, or in this case the government, that is choosing that expert. I know I've been chosen on that basis. I, I, I consulted for many years. I was a behavioralist. I knew very little <laughs> about many other things, Bob, I would add. But if we look at the area of economics, there are... Uh, 11 major economic theories that can be cited, and I would say every economist that's brought in as a consultant will not be talking about the general issue of economics. What they'll be talking about is their particular perspective on economics. The same thing pertains to epidemiology. Right. Uh, so when we talk about experts, the word has the connotation of, of someone who offers you a, 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 a far-reaching and expansive view of an issue. That is the furthest thing from the truth, Bob. What we get is a very unique, and I would say bias, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, bias, it is their commitment to a particular approach, and I think we're seeing that right now. We have to escape from that. Uh, alongside Fauci and Burks, there should be other epidemiologists offering other perspectives. There should be economists offering different perspectives right now and behavioralists. And as I sound my blood, I stand ready to be called. Uh, so I think the world of experts is loaded with bias. It's loaded with the, the choice being made of experts to validate a pre-existing position that was held by the group that is choosing that expert as their spokesperson. Yeah, well, so I'm watching this, uh, and what I see is a president of the United States right now who I think understands that uh, there's a lot of fear-mongering going on, and we cannot follow the advice of Fauci and others about this, or we'll end up seeing the economy go right down the tubes, and we'll be a third-world nation faster than you can blink your eye. so I think what what I see is he's, he's certainly allowing them to carry the uh, the baton uh, for this period of time while we're dealing with the up with the uh, with the pandemic. But uh, we have to get back to work, and I think he understands that right now. And, he, and hopefully he has perspective on this, so that he doesn't allow them to dominate the conversation. Well, Trump, unlike uh, almost everyone else in in this country, does. <coughs> does seem to understand. The question is whether or not he could be successful uh, when governors have, have seized the control of their local systems, and uh, it seems to be almost impossible to escape from that, uh, that local control at the, the governor's level or the, uh, even at the, the local city level. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I make the point in my, in my blog about the bias of experts that human life is, is more than just a heartbeat, Bob. We, we have things that we, we enjoy, things that define who we are, uh, it is the fact that it is the heart of our life. Um, I point out that uh, there are things that we accumulate, the possessions. Now, I know we, uh, we, we feel those are very shallow things to be concerned with, and yet uh, homes that are destroyed and businesses that are destroyed, these physical manifestations of a life uh, are not being protected. Uh, sure, the heartbeat of a, of a human is important, uh, but I, 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 in a dramatic bit of writing, I, I say that makes us nothing more than barnyard animals. It is the way you treat a barnyard animal. You control, concern yourself only with their, their, their physical life. You do not concern yourself with the totality of what it is to be alive as a human being. We're ignoring that, and actually we're, we're suggesting it has no place in this argument, and that's, to me, Bob, uh, within my perspective, that is absurd. It is absurd indeed, and uh, right now, uh, you know, we, we just have to get back to work. And I, I think the governor right now has po- called together some experts. They haven't agreed. There was some discussion in the Naples Daily News uh, today about uh, the back and forth of the committee that met and the different thoughts that they had around opening up the economy. I think the governor recognizes we need to get moving and move quickly. Uh, the governor of Georgia, Tennessee, others have already, as North Carolina, already considering opening uh, their economies. 
and uh, we need to do the same and pretty quickly. I think we, we certainly do. If we look at the complexity of doing something simple, like merely opening up the Jacksonville beaches, uh, that was a complex decision. I, I can't think of anything that should have been easier than that. And yet when we get into the more complex decisions of people working side by side uh, in a workplace, I think that uh, any spike in these, in these numbers, in the, uh, in the people who have COVID-19 or the deaths, uh, any minimal spike will immediately put pressure on even the governors you cited uh, to to uh, reimpose the restrictions that originally existed, Bob. So uh, I don't see how we can escape from this. Uh, if we look at Redfield's comments that you alluded to before, uh, essentially if he's saying there's going to be a second wave and a flu-related uh, concurrency of these two things, COVID-19 and, and the flu season, um, it, it's hard to imagine that anyone in this country will gain the, uh, the, the vigor uh, to withstand the, the, what they're going to have to go through to o- reopen this economy. Yeah. It has to be more than Trump. And uh, at this point, there were a few governors, as you cited, but it's a very limited population of people in, in America right now that are really fighting for the future of this country. Bob. Well, I, I'll say this. I mean, we as individuals, and it, this is how we should be managing ourselves as individuals, we need to be making good decisions for ourselves. And if, we're, if our health, if our immune system is compromised, we need to self-isolate uh, and if we're, we're not, if we have a healthy immune system, the likelihood is even if we get the coronavirus, we'll be uh, asymptomatic. And uh, on that basis, we should uh, just allow people to make good decisions for themselves. We need to sell to distance. I can support that, even though I don't think it does a heck of a lot of good. Uh, there's a lot of things we can do in order to prevent ourselves from getting sick. But if we do, most people, what we're finding out is most people that get the virus, if they have a healthy immune system, they're not having a lot of the symptoms that uh, that uh, other people are. So, Absolutely. Let me just clarify something that I said last week. I, I don't know if it needs clarification, but I will because there was some input. I know back to you about it. Uh, I indicated that the, uh, the elderly, and I'm one of them, Bob, I'm 77, uh, we are not, by age alone, more susceptible to the, uh, right. to the extreme dangers of COVID-19. Right. We happen to have, as an aged group, we happen to have more vulnerabilities, but Age itself is not a vulnerability. Uh, but what we've done is we've categorized anyone who is aged as being inherently vulnerable, and that is just not true. Statistics do not document that at all. Bob. That's right. Andy, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, I look forward to next week, Bob. Me too. Thank you, Andy. Love having him on the show. I think he's really well-informed and a very bright guy. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with another very well-informed guy. It's Larry Bell, professor, endowed professor at the University of Houston, author of seven books. We're going to be talking about one of them, Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. 
You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a noble enterprise. Of course, it's all going to happen after the pandemic is uh, resolved and we'll get the economy going. But you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston Space Architecture. He's also the author of several books, one of which I finished yesterday. It's called Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Bob. I guess we're all getting a lot of reading time in these days. <laughs> yes, we are. We are indeed. But uh, your book was so powerful and scary, I might add, uh, when you understand the vulnerability that we have to cyber warfare and who can engage in this type of thing. In fact, what I'm finding out is that we're all at war pretty much now, right, because of uh, uh, some sort of a low-grade warfare going on. Uh, not only uh, attacking us, but we're, in a, in a sense, attacking others. Well, you know, we really are, and, and you know, we are in that, in that stage of warfare, and, and it's, it's global. You know, I, I wrote an article in uh, my, my column for Newsmax just a little while back about, you know, when, when we have, the world now is so, is so wired together, and, and we're seeing that now with the virus. Where where we uh, you know one one airline flight uh, you know it, it you know the, the world threat travels at this at the speed of light when it comes to the computer viruses and the ability to weaponize those and we travel at the speed of a jetliner you know traveling from one country to another and in terms of biological viruses and you know we we are really really aware together and and. Uh, whether accidentally, in the case of we hope we hope it was accidental, and we assume it is with the coronavirus, or in the case of uh, of the, uh, you know, the the cyber warfare viruses and worms and so on, they behave in such a such a similar way. They uh, they take over, and one one takes over cells and turns them in, into little robot factories for other viruses and. And the other turns com- computers into robots, you know, to 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 uh, control other 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 computers, and and uh, you know we uh, it is it is ma- amazing. You know, it's it's on one hand you can live in eternal dread, uh, you know, that you know the world's coming to an end, and we've sort of seen it stop in the last month. Uh, but then we have to go on, and we have to, uh, you know, in the case of computers, we're also realizing that the internet that the internet wires everything together mm-hmm. in terms of the fiber warfare. But uh, in the case of you know our world, we're 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 you know think you know we get infected. Uh, there are no borders, and. Uh, and, but at the same time, some of that technology also gives us the ability to now to continue to have some social interaction with with others, even even during this horrendous nightmare we're going through now. Uh, I'm I'm teaching remotely with my students. So I have graduate students and so on. So, you know, we we live in a very different world. 
Yeah. You know, after I read the book and I, I found this uh, news item today about drones being used around the country to enforce coronavirus lockdowns, and apparently municipalities, states, uh, certain uh, government organizations have purchased the drones from um, probably the cheapest provider from China. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What do you think the implications might be of that? Well, I, I, I read that, you know, the sources are, you know, you never know entirely where people get their information, but the reference I saw in some, you know, some magazine and so on is that it was, they were donated. Oh, really? And, uh, <laughs> and, and you think, well, why would that happen? And, and these, these drones, as I understand it, are instrumented to do all kinds of things. They don't just, you know, they don't just watch you, but they have other, you know, they other, have other encoded devices and so on. And, and perhaps very well to track people by, you know, I'm not saying, you know, certainly they have this ability in, in China to use the same systems to have, they have facial recognition and they have, they get biometric data from people and, and, uh, you know, they can get into places and look at places that, you know, their, their beauty is they, they can get in where police cars can't access and so on. And, and it's the same systems, you know, it's the same thing that we see, you know, where, where were they beta tested? Well, they're actually operating at large scale in China. Yeah. And, and and then you wonder, well, are we, you know, it's it's pretty scary on one hand because, you know, we think of, of the ability to, to, to spy on us. They can certainly, you know, get data back to whoever and wherever they want. But also the fact that, uh, you know, we, we, this Orwellian world we live in now where, where we say, well, we're, you know, it's, it's now a, a, it's a behavior monitoring and control device. Right. And uh, there's, there's a nexus, there's a crossover there between the cyber warfare and, and, and the way that, that it's used even against in China and some countries against their own people. And the... The fact that we're using some of those same systems now, we see as as part of our our social monitoring, social control here, and 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 we can use, you know, we, you know, the, you know, we all want to do this, you know, we all want to be responsible to our neighbors and our friends, and not not contaminate them or become contaminated. So this social distancing and so on. But now we're moving into this era of. Of, of you know mounting protests against certain draconian policies against you know shutting down small businesses that are just absolutely dying um, where it doesn't make much sense because they're not places that collect a lot of people and so on and we're seeing rebellion now and we're seeing protests and and here we have drones you know in the sky watching people it it's kind of scary. It is scary indeed. And Professor, I mean, one of the things that I learned in your book is that the, the Chinese Communist Party, the Chinese people are fine. Or it's certainly not about the Chinese people, but it's about the Communist Party that is working systematically with great intent to, to, in, to infiltrate our government, our population, to gather information, do whatever they can in order to uh, have supremacy not only over the United States, but around the world. And this, and they're doing that by stealing our infrastructure, or stealing our, I should say, uh, intellectual property. Uh, and it's, uh, we've sat by and let it happen for so long. F fortunately, the well, President we, of the United States is yeah. standing up. And we know, it's been reported you know, by government officials that China's in our energy grid mm -hmm. with, with bugs. And, and we know that, okay? And they have, and we're in other people's and then the Russians are in our grid. We know that, mm -hmm. and so you know with these with these uh, uh, backdoor viruses that can be triggered whenever they want to to shut down power supplies. Well, we can do the same. But the, the scary one of the scary aspects for us is that the more wired you are, the more vulnerable you are. And we're the you know as, as I say in the book, we live in the glassiest house in a in a stone fight. Yeah, exactly. you know we can we can you know. Threatened to shut down North Korea's grid, but you know what grid? You know that's right. Uh, so it's it's uh, we're very vulnerable. It used to be 
that only the really powerful, wealthy countries could afford really scary like atomic and nuclear weapons and so on. Now, this is a bargain basement uh, uh, warfare where, you know, many, many, many countries around the world have these cyber capabilities and, uh, you you know, ban them off the dark web, you know, it's, it's another world, Bob. Well, we have to continue this conversation, Professor. I, I just want to encourage our listeners right now to get a copy of your book. It's entitled Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future by Professor Larry Bell. Well worth the read, and uh, we all need to be informed about what's going on. Professor, genuinely appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Bob, thank you, and be safe. You as well. Thank you, Professor. All right, uh, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit we have some great games flaw with the uh, Flor- uh, Florida Citizens Alliance. We'll also, uh, we have some great guests, so I hope you'll tune in. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com. <laughs>